0: It is that time of year, as the end of January signifies the start of the 2024 Six Nations. Today, the Rugby Paper podcast previews the entire tournament in what is a new era for all the countries participating. As has become tradition for the Rugby Paper podcast, myself and the columnists are joined by British and Irish Lions and England legend and the Rugby Paper's very own, Jerry Guscott. Right, it's time for the big one, as has become Rugby Paper podcast tradition, um, it actually marks what two years now of the Rugby Paper podcast as well. So very excited for this episode as international rugby returns for the first time since the Rugby World Cup. Uh Six Nations season is upon us. We've got we've all got through January, so a big well done for getting through what is usually a torrid month and joining myself and all the columnists for the big preview, as always, is English and British on Irish Lions Center Jerry Guscott. How are you, Jerry?
1: Yeah, good. Yeah, I'm not too bad. I am um... I've got through Christmas. Um, I've not put on too many pounds. Uh, I've yet to I've yet to start the exercising. Um, work is um, interesting, and um, I'm looking forward to uh, being excited by the by the Six Nations. I want to see some decent rugby? We've got some lot, you know, quite a few changes and um, a, a lot a lot of unknowns, which is makes it that much more interesting.
0: We were sat here, obviously, this time last year, and we were talking about how the Six Nations, in terms of its magnitude, couldn't really be any bigger. Um, Obviously, you had six teams building towards a World Cup. You had new coaches for England and Wales, respectively. Where do we stand relatively this time? It obviously feels like the start of a four-year cycle. Does that diminish its importance somewhat?
1: No, not at all. There's too many memories around the Six Nations. Um, Everybody we'll be clamouring for tickets, everybody be going to their usual spot where they watch that opening game or watch their team, and they'll just be recycling the memories like we all do when lots of us friends get together. You tell the same old stories, you laugh a little bit longer, a little bit shorter, something that's changed in the year might spark up and you'll laugh again, but you you can't beat memory lane and you can't beat the excitement and expectation of, of what's to come—it's—it's it's just too big. I mean, if you're, you, know, you you know you sit down in your seat where you normally sit and watch that opening game, or you, or you go to the stadium, or as I used to do, I used to go the night before with the BBC, and I'd wake up that morning, and if it was in Rome and England are playing Italy, you you'd walk around the hotel, you go into the city it just slowly builds to this crescendo of the whistle, the roar, and then you're off.
0: And that feeling for you is still exactly the same and will always be exactly the same by the sounds of
1: things. I think come match day, yeah, I mean, who I mean, <laughs> can't be excited about this Friday and yeah, and France against Ireland. You know, I'd, I'd love to be over in Paris to uh, sample the atmosphere and, and watch what's going to be... a an awesome game of rugby,
2: or even Marseille, Jerry. They've taken it down there uh, for this one.
1: That would right, be yeah. nice, though. That's how much attention I'm playing, or <laughs> even paying. <laughs> Just as well you didn't do that during your playing days, Jerry. Um, <laughs> well, you, I tell you what, if they Woodward took a risk one year when he said all the players could make their own way to Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> No one got lost.
2: <laughs> the infamous Terry O'Connor, a journalist friend of past years, once ended up in Morocco when he was trying to get to Paris Nations a <laughs> match and filed his report from Casablanca. Lively. Did they have port and brandy over there for him? I think they
3: did. <laughs> to, be, to be honest, I, I think that the move to Marseille spices it up a bit. Um, I mean I mean, it 's a, a hell of a venue that and uh, and, and possibly possibly because of the, they 're not playing there all the time, so there 's a rarity value but when France play a meaningful test match, not necessarily a world Cup warmer or anything like that, but a proper full on test in marseille that's that just has um a fantastic uh, buzz around it it's it 's a unique atmosphere there it 's very different to paris,
0: very different. And they've they're hopping about for the whole thing, aren't they? It's Marseille, Lyon, and one other. Correct me if I'm wrong.
2: Yeah, well the stad is out of commission, that has been yeah. refurbished for the Olympics. Yeah, but so not that... all
0: three are in Marseille. Um I yeah. Think,
2: yeah. they're definitely doing one in definitely. Lyon as well, yeah.
0: I can't remember what the Did other. Yeah. Did you
3: um I mean I know how much you 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 sort of respect and, and have a, a almost an emotional connection with with French rugby and it, and its styles and its values and what have you, Jerry. Did you did you have you ever in lo- fell in love in love with the Stade de France in the same way that a lot of us did with the Parc des Prince? I
1: think I always fell in love with the French rugby. And they could have played on Mars. That's what I would have fallen in love with, never the stadium. Um, Sometimes, you know, what always always helped playing in France, uh Part de, de France, was um the surface was fantastic. Um, you know, back in the day when you played at Lansdowne Road, I mean, you'd really want it cut before you played, it never was. Um, but that you know, that was not proper cow field. Uh Part de France was beautiful, the atmosphere was great, the horns, the cockerels, the flares. You, you couldn't really wish for any more it was intense uh the old lost beef was uh, it was just at it, at its height and the, of course the, the battles for the you know the engagement between the French pack and the english pack back there was huge and and kind of remains a little bit like that still
3: Landstone rug must have been really bad if 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 you played all your club rugby at the wreck and you thought that was a bad track
1: yeah no i'm not Really going to go there, I guess. It's, I mean, I got used to the wreck, but when you get used to international stadium and the grounds, um, yeah, it wasn't so much. It wasn't so great then, but look, look at uh, look at the Aviva Stadium now. It's perfect.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it? That's a good stadium all round. In fact, I think that might be as good a stadium as, as, as there is in in the world to watch rugby. I think I think they designed that really well. I think it's it's got an atmosphere all of its own. It's not an identical stadium, partly for planning restrictions, I think, but it's a it's a heck of a place. That Aviva Stadium It's good.
1: Yeah, I guess they wish they could have made it sort of 80,000. The, the revenue miss out on there because of the uh, they weren't allowed to put that stand on that on that one side. Uh, is is a bit of a is a bit of a financial blow. But yeah, I mean that the atmosphere in all the stadiums in the Six Nations are great. When you read. Um, I think the Stadio Flaminio is um, sold down for this game against England. There's 60,000 for the next game that they play. Uh, so that's good news. It's great.
0: Just um, referring to your column that you wrote in the rugby paper, Jerry, uh, you outlined your surprise. Obviously, you mentioned it was a new um, era and five of the teams out of the six, Italy being the exception, they all have new captains. And you outlined your surprise at Peter O'Mahony and Jeremy George being captains for Ireland and England respectively, just go into that a little bit. It's obviously probably not the most forward-thinking selections, given neither of them are likely to make Rugby World Cup 2027, but I suppose they're not thinking about that too much.
1: No. It's a surprise only for me in that I was thinking that Balthwick might really wipe the slate clean. Maybe do what Woodward did, what Jeff Cook did in the old days, and go for someone young, refreshing, set a new culture. Um, but we're on the outside. We don't know what it's like inside. Um, he's gone for Jamie George for, for clear and obvious reasons that are internal. And that is, I think they did a survey of some nature and the, the, the amount of connections Jamie George has with all of the squad is far higher than anybody else. And that's, you know, the influence that person can have throughout the squad is wide-reaching. And I can see the reasons for it. He is a good player. He selects himself, which is crucial. And he's a bit of a character and personality. You're not going to get a Steve Bolswick answer from Jamie George. You're actually going to get an answer you're interested in rather than fall asleep. So I think from that respect, we really enjoy it watching, listening to him be interviewed. And, And he will be genuine. Now, you, like if you listened, if you watch the Gallagher Premiership, you know, it's great when you get coaches uh, or uh, directors of rugby, particularly like Rob Baxter, that come out and speak what, exactly, you know, what you're what you're feeling or what you you thought, and you get a real connection with those people. That you know, he's not pulling the wool over the eyes; he's actually being very genuine, without throwing any player under the bus. He's given you a good insight into what he's thinking, how his team performed, how his individuals performed and what's going to happen the following week and some changes and some of the things he might say to the squad during the week.
0: Do you think that openness is a deliberate antidote to Owen Farrell as a captain? Obviously, there were question marks because he was so to the script in front of the media most of the time and then it was almost an an imagined leadership and you obviously hear people in England camp saying what a great competitor and leader Farrell was and we didn't necessarily get to see that publicly. Do you think it's a deliberate juxtaposition to that?
1: I don't think it's deliberate to have the anti-Farrell. I just think you get your personalities, your characters, they are what they are Uh, and Jamie George will plays in his own particular way. He'll speak in his own particular way. And I think it's great, you know, someone who's that experienced, who's talked in front of the media for years and years and years, isn't afraid to say what he feels. Whereas someone young, inexperienced, you, you tend to say what you feel people want you to say and you will follow script. I think you'll get the same from uh, Amani, who's Captain Munster, who's Captain Wales before, I mean, the guy's straight. He's a warrior. He's saying what he... I don't... I really believe you won't hear anything different from Peter Armani's lips. He will be very genuine, very honest, thorough, and to the point. I think what you got with Farrell was... I don't... I just don't think... I don't genuinely believe it was scripted. It's just his personality in front of the camera, speaking into a microphone. It's just how he felt. I remember... Martin Johnson, I was always, I'd, I'd rather be in, on the sofa watching Martin Johnson being interviewed rather than, rather than in the changing room of whatever stage we you were playing in. Because I, I, I would love to see the sort of microphone trembling from the person who's as, asking him the, the question, because they don't want to be made a fool of, because O didn't suffer fools. It was that situation where, come on, ask me something interesting, I may give you a, an interesting answer. If you give me a, a closed question, I'm just going to answer yes or no. It's up to you to work, to make me talk. And when you got Joe talking, he was brilliant. If you didn't, you just got that monotone, monobrade kind of look and answer.
3: I, d- I don't think it all struck me that Owen Farrell, a bit like Martin, actually, um, just didn't really relish that side of the job, didn't particularly enjoy um, the the sort of Face to face stuff with the media, and and that's fine. I never had a problem with that. I mean, there are some players, people like Danny Grucock, who didn't run away from much. He would run a mile from from speaking to the press because he just just didn't like doing it and wasn't comfortable doing it. And it was it was interesting. Chris Robshaw in a different way to Farrell. He was slightly uncomfortable with with with, with the press for 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 more personal reasons. You know, he'd he'd, he'd had dyslexia and what have you at school, which is well which is well. Um, which is well documented, and Chris was a bit nervous. And in his time, Stuart Lancaster basically handed the duties, if you like, to Tom Wood, who was very comfortable with the press and and understood the value of saying something interesting, of answering a good question with a good answer, and he was brilliant at it, without overstepping the mark. So he was given almost free reign to be to be the public conscience of the team, if you like, uh, in his dealings with the press. And Eddie Jones, with, with Owen Farrell there, Eddie Jones did it a, a bit with James Haskell, who was a different kind of character completely. And he really loved the press because, he, you know, he, he wanted to be in the media world. Well, that's fine. It's just a lot easier for people, people like Jamie George, who's very comfortable. Um, in 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 that kind of environment, it's just easier for those blokes to to shoulder that burden rather than someone who basically doesn't want to do it, like Farrell or Johnson. They'd rather go and do other things.
1: I think it's up to the people in the media to get the best out of whoever it is. If, yeah, if, you know, Owen Farrell was around for a long time. They all had a long time to work out. You know, what does he like talking about? How can I make him comfortable? Um, and and the reality is no one really succeeded. And whether that was down to him not wanting, we will never know. But um, I think you know, there's only so much you can say and so much you can answer. They're, they're so, you, they're, the questions can be obvious. The answers, we probably can answer ourselves a lot um, because they're, they're standard. Um, and when you lose, you're not in a good mood. When you win, you're euphoric, you're, you're on a high, the adrenaline's still still running. Um, and I really, you know, if you're not up for it, don't put them forward. I, you know, yeah. in this and age, if you don't want to talk, you just say, I'm not comfortable in front of the camera. Um, I'm OK doing press conferences, but live on TV, I just feel uncomfortable and send someone
3: else. But those flash interviews straight after the game are the devil's job, aren't they? I mean, I mean, they're not easy for the broadcaster. And, and Sonia McLaughlin on the BBC, who I think does a great job, Sonia. Because she does ask pointed questions, but it's not a very easy time for the interviewee as they're walking off the field. Either the coach has you know, just seen his team lose, or a skipper has just played eighty minutes and and had twenty points rammed up him. Um, it's very, it's a very, very difficult environment. I, I don't envy anyone involved in that. Actually, I think that's a tough call. I understand the need for it, but I think it's quite tough.
1: It's hard to be yourself, but you've got to be yourself, and that's the toughest learning curve that you get just be yourself go for it say what comes into your mind don't think about it and that's your personality and that's what everybody wants to listen to
2: I think both England and Ireland have been quite cute with the captains they've appointed because you've got to get out of this world cup cycle if you appoint a shiny new captain the first match after the last world cup he immediately becomes, you know, is this man, is he the man to take England or Ireland or whatever through four years to 2027? Well, uh, Peter O'Mar is definitely not going to be there. And I'd be very surprised if Jamie George makes another four years. I wouldn't completely write it off. But um, so you've got this nice interim period that they can they can take the flat If there's flat coming England's way or Ireland's way, they can help nurture the team. Uh, compare with Scotland, who've gone right in with Rory Darge. Now, that's an interesting one. He's a hell of a good player. But is he going to actually even be the number one first choice in the next couple of years? Obviously, he is at the moment. So I think that's pretty high risk from Gregor, making him the skipper. Um, you could say, you know, new era, glossy new era, new hope and all that. But that comes with his own problems if, if it doesn't quite go right in the first season or two. It's also an important, it's also an important aspect. It's becoming increasingly important,
3: hasn't it? They're dealing with the referees on the pitch. Um, there are people who are not good at it. Ja- um, you know, Jamie Ritchie wasn't really wasn't very good at it. Um, you know, you yeah. could that that the whole interaction, insofar as you could sense it from the television, the whole interaction he was having with referees was not great. We know about Owen Farrell's record in this regard. Um, Alan wynne Jones spent time not being brilliant at it. Sam Walberton was fantastic at it, mm. and and it was a you know. Not a massive. No, I suspect World's Jamie success, George would be very it, good at it. Oh well, Jamie's. The it's on Jamie. It's, it's very difficult to imagine Jamie George annoying anyone. Hmm. Um, in 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 those terms, I mean, I'm sure he's like every hooker. Um, you know, he's, he must have a bit of edge to him somewhere, but he's he just seems to be a natural communicator, and that's no small thing.
1: It's a great position to be in, hooker. If you think about it, the referee's there when his scrum goes down you're coming into a line eight, you've got time to look at the referee, you're going away, there's a penalty, you're in the thick of it. And I think that's why most of the time forwards make better normally, or it seems to be forwards make a, a, a captain more often because of that closeness, that proximity to the referee all the time.
2: Yeah, yeah. Away it's from John the... Smith, John Pulling, all those sort of people are right in it, aren't they? for 18 minutes sean, sean fitzpatrick sean fitzpatrick yeah Fipsy
0: i want to sort of jump into england first of all and we'll kind of go through each team um we've kind of started to do that a little bit but obviously a lot of headlines around england squad being slightly hit by one retirements which we've known about for a while two ineligibilities which we'll get into later and three now injuries um and the area that's been most hit by injuries is the midfield. So Jerry, for obvious reasons, I'm going to come to you about that. The latest news is <laughs> that <laughs> the latest news is that Marcus Smith is out of the opener. Messrs Tualangi and Lawrence were already ruled out with injury. Um, what do you make of all this, Jerry? And I just bluntly, what would be your England midfield for the start of the tournament?
1: I think I wrote a backline in the column with Kaney I can't remember what that is. And I quickly wrote something down today. Um, So I, Ford Smith, I would go brave and pick Smith at 10. I want, in the column I mentioned about Freeman coming in, because I like his size, I like his pace, I like his directness. And I I think he could be good, but it's how comfortable, I don't know how comfortable he would be playing. There and if he was, I would try. And if he wasn't, fair enough. I just thought because he's moved around the back three a bit. I think he may have played outside centre once or twice. I, I, would, I, I his size, but then I, you know, that you look at all those Northampton backs, and apparently they've all put on about five kg to seven kg. And so when I, I because I didn't think Dingle was was big enough, but he probably is. Uh, and he's more used to playing in that centre position, not necessarily 12, but it's not too far removed. So for me, that 12 position was, for me, and probably me only, it's about the heft and directness and the aggression you can produce from that that play. Because I think it's crucial culturally to the way England have played their best rugby throughout the ages, Um, And then outside, I'd probably punt for Slade. I think he's playing well enough for Exeter. He's got the experience. You've got another boot uh, for for the kicking game that's so important. And I think mainly because he's in form. He's been away from it. He's hungry. I think you could see the best of Henry Slade right now. So that, that would be the midfielder I would be looking at.
0: I think now that Marcus Smith is injured, there's obviously Brendan the temptation to go for a Northampton nine ten. I mean, you've even got the option of a Northampton nine, ten, twelve, thirteen. If you went Mitchell, Finn Smith, Dingwall, Freeman, or something like that. And with how, how Northampton have played, but I don't think that would be, you know, the worst thing ever if we see that take the field.
2: Yeah, actually, I think that's what I do. Um I mean, George Ford worries me a bit. I've seen quite a bit of sale this season and he's not playing well and he's got an knee issue. Um, as so I'm not exactly sure, you know, well, he wouldn't be my first choice at the moment. It would have been Marcus Smith. He's injured. So uh, Finn Smith was superb against Munster at Toman and has actually been very good on a number of occasions. We've seen him, so I wouldn't hesitate to go with that Northampton lineup. Could could, could go really nicely. Um The one that, irritates and annoys me is I think George Furbank's the best of them all but I don't see where you get him in the team but he's the guy who makes Northampton tick more than anybody else uh, but no I, w- I wouldn't hesitate to go with that, that foursome uh, you know the Saints foursome there in the midfield and uh, the John- our Classic. The, the classic
1: uh, Hi hiking you was just keeping you waiting because you were late The classic <laughs> uh, The classic with Furbank, I don't disagree with you Brenny. is he, he's, he's very talented He plays well for Northampton. It just doesn't happen on the international field for him. There's very few of the caps that he's got, which will probably be around 10. Then they're not particularly memorable. And I know he's not playing in a well-established, brilliant on form England side throughout all those internationals that he's had. And it's a bit like Henry Slade. Henry Slade, I mean, the guy's got probably 60 caps. But I remember, I remember one decent game against Ireland. I think he scored two tries in Dublin. He was sensational. And he's never been able to sort of recapture that form. And, and that's where I think George is gifted, talented, brilliant at club rugby, but it's just not been so obvious at international level.
2: And I've got a horrible feeling, and he's very versatile, but possibly his best position of all will be the one he's never played, and that's twelve. I think he's got all the makings of an English Nick Tompkins. And I've seen really run that seen line.
1: He's hmm? not, not robust enough to run Tompkins. Well, is... Andre
2: Hazen, he absolutely slaughtered Hazen in their match. He hit him three times, and Hazen had never been hit so hard. He is a really big tackler for a bloke his size. But in midfield, you don't see it when he's at fullback. But I think he's a very underrated talent. But they won't pick him at 12. But I think that might be his position.
1: I think you've got to prove the. Um... You know, would you disagree? You know, has he played brilliantly every time he's played for England, or has he played in
2: the wrong position? No, he, he hasn't played particularly well. I don't think he's been particularly disastrous, but no, he, Eddie Jones never really decided he played him at ten and fifteen, didn't he? I think at various times, um, no, he, he, he didn't. But England, England overall weren't playing very well either. So, but no, he, he hasn't. He hasn't put his best foot forward in a white shirt yet. But he's still, you know, he's only mid late twenties. Yeah he looks he, he looks a
4: different player in many ways. He looks as if he's stepped up, you know, two or three gears this uh yeah. this season. He lost
2: 5 kg I think, Jerry.
4: Yeah, he looks he looks yeah. much stronger, much more physical than um than he has done up until now. But um you know, I mean, I, I, I we're we're always stuck in this um, you know, club country conundrum with England. Um if he's going to play in a position in international rugby, it sort of seems like a no-brainer that he should have played there for his club, and you know that's the same problem with the Freddie Stewart idea, of you know of, of bringing him into inside centre. It happened, ha- had to happen at the beginning of this season, yeah. and it hasn't. And so we've got what we've got. Um, I was intrigued by Jerry's idea of Freeman as um, as as twelve, and um, you know being able. A, 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 able physically to uh, to take those hard lines, um, and really a question of whether you know whether it's a position he really wants to play because you've got to want to play it.
1: It's right. a huge it's a huge area. If you think about where England have been, it's probably since two thousand and three, two thousand and four that midfield, all the different combinations, no matter how many of them have played a lot, of, have acquired a lot of internationals' caps, you know, since the Tyndall-Greenwood uh, partnership, there really doesn't seem to have been a standout pairing. And I think if Borthwick is looking to the World Cup, which he must, and I hope, OK, he's got to take it match at time, but his goal's got to be World Cup victory in four years' time that that's really crucial to get that partnership established you can't have one in for three games another one in for four outside of injuries he's really got to have a clear picture of what he sees at 12 and thirteen um I, I think that is mega important for this team over the next uh four you know four year cycle and,
3: and everyone has struggled haven't they to i i think the 12 position is fascinating because no one least of all England, have been able to settle on what they want from their 12. Basically, no one's been able to unearth a Geordie Barrett, have they? apart from New Zealand, do I have Geordie Barrett? Because Geordie Barrett does the lot. He's big enough to get you through the traffic. He's very secure defensively. He's got a great kicking game. And he's got a tens distribution skills. Well, if you were inventing a 12 in a laboratory somewhere, you'd come up with him. But there aren't many of those around. So do you want what I would call a relatively limited, in terms of his skill set, number 12, like Tuolangi, let's say, would be a classic example. The things he does well, he does exceptionally well. But it's also worth remembering that his great performances for England, his great performances for England, have been at 13, outside Barrett outside Farrell. Well, the
4: that's, 20, that's, that's, 2018, 2018, the game that Jerry was referring to with Slade in Dublin, he was at 12 and he was offset outside by Slade, but he made all the dents in that game that enabled them to, uh, to cut loose. So I don't entirely buy that. Well, yeah, but we'll do, but, but at
3: 13, he's played in, in, two, in two games where England have rounded up the All Blacks. Hmm. I mean, to to me, but but I may take a very old fashioned view of this. I just wish Slade had played twelve for his whole career.
2: Yeah, he looks a twelve to me as well, always.
1: Because um, he, yeah, so I I would be totally opposite. I I like a straightforward up and at him twelve. twelve, um, and I, I think culturally that's better for England. Um, you look at all the. See the teams that have won the World Cups—they've had a hard, aggressive twelve. Um, you know, to, in in this modern day, you've mentioned Barrett. We've got Delande. You've got Dante. You've got Henshaw. You've got Aki. All the best teams have a direct, abrasive, aggressive twelve. They don't have the the distributor, the fancy Dan. It is it's rugby at its purest and at its best.
3: But do but do, do you not want to find, if you can, someone who gives you that aggression but also has the kind of skill set? Well, so I'll, you, if, I'll if give you... you back, the, Tim Horan Tim Hor- Tim Hor- would be a classic example.
1: Yeah, but Tim Horan had this ability to run a really hard line. Yeah. The guy was a nugget. He was tough. Best, he, best was 12 a he was He aggressive. Best uh, 12 he, He's a... You know, Tom, Tom Kins is a a, a... a 7 out of 10 Horan. Yeah. Um... I, you you just need uh, look. Um, Geordie Barrett is a blunt instrument. He's not deaf with the boot in out of hand. He's not deaf with his passing. He's a he's brutal. He, he, he's he's not got the silky. He's not a, uh, a he's not a red puff. You know the guy is direct. He loves confrontation. He's mm. built for number twelve. He's built for the wing. He's built for fullback. He's an uber-gifted rugby player. Um, you know, he's a, he's a tough Will Greenwood. You know, the guy's six foot four, he's 16 stone. Uh, you know, but he'd run through Will because he, he's just like that New Zealand, tough nugget. He's just tough. And that's what England need. You know, when Will played inside, six foot four, 15 and a half stone, 16 stone, he could offload and he could pass and he could score tries. The guy was world-class. Yeah. Um, but that you know they're, they're few and far between because they're that good.
3: Mm. Yeah. Well, we, England haven't really had as good as good a, a twelve as Greenwood since Greenwood. I think
1: if if remained fit and somehow you stimulated him to get up for every game, that that guy could have been one of the best. It, it, you know, he could have been a Ma Nanu in his own shirt. That that's how good he could have been, but you know, injury. Um, injury wasn't kind. Jerry, do you think Ollie Lawrence is a 12 then? Ollie Lawrence is the best centre in the country at the moment. The way he's playing, the guy's on fire. You you get those rich veins of form that they come and go. For a back, they come and go because you just don't get that much ball uh, to do it all the time. And conditions, yes, you know, it could be raining for three weeks and you don't touch it. You're just running like that for, for three weekends. But it seems to me that watching Ollie, that you know, he's the alchemist at the moment. He 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 catches. He he runs into a tackle. He bounces. He's a bit like sometimes a uh, an NFL running back. He'll run into a dead end. You think he can't get home. Get get away. A bump, twist, and turn, and run away again, and find some space. Uh, he, you know, he's running fast, he's leaning into tackles and bouncing off that tackler and going again or he's running through a gap. He's playing with a, a maestro, by the way, and he's playing, you know, in Finn Russell and he's playing in a team that are, are ambitious and they've got a, a zest for attack through, I guess, Lee Blackett. So, um, yeah, I think it's when Lawrence is fit, he, he strolls back into that midfield and it's, Find, you know, that's why it's crucial to have this. Well, Lawrence, you know, I if I'm Borthwick, Lawrence is in. What's the best combination? Is it Slade? Is it Dingwall? It, it, who is it? And I think that is crucial that they find out and because Lawrence is the, is, is, is the number one centre currently on form. Yeah. you
3: probably di- you'll probably disagree with me on this jerry um or i don't know why i've just said that but h- how much potential do you think max ajomo has
1: yeah max i think is great in attack i think he's hungry for the ball he'll, he'll get it in his hands and he'll his fir- it seems to me his first thought is can i where can i go where's the space which is great uh, it's ambitious it, it's exciting um he he I think firstly he's got to hold down that, that position. He's got to be the number one at Bath and he, then then you start moving. And I think Van grand paid in the I think what would have been one of the best compliments that he would have received is when they played to lose, he said his defensive game was the best best out there. Uh, if he can, if he continues in that vein with his attacking, opens up, broadens his his feel for the game, and when to pass, when to run. I, I, you know, the world is uh, is his oyster. He's he's very very talented.
0: Do you find it interesting lately? And we've always said on this podcast that we think Ollie Lawrence is best deployed at thirteen for England, as he has been so successfully for Bath. But in recent weeks, obviously he's injured at the moment. But we've seen a Jomo move to thirteen and Ollie Lawrence to twelve. Do you think there's been an England influence there, given that apart from when he started with Tulange, I think Ollie Lawrence has always been at 12 for England?
1: Yeah, I don't believe uh, there'd be an influence from England. There might have been a chat with Van Gram, but he's got to pick his best team to play, you know, to win matches. And I don't think they would do that because England asked. Um it might if Ollie asked, that might be the case. Um but, you know, you know, I will be his own man. I think, you know, uh, you, first of all, you, does Ollie Lawrence want to play 12? And, and your initial uh, uh, answer would be, you know, if Jeff Cook or or Jack Rowell or uh, Clive Woodward asked me to play 12, I would say, why? Like, why do you want me at 12? Um and if he came up with a good enough reason that I'd never thought of, I'd probably, I would have answered them over, oh, okay, that's the way we're going to play. That's the way you're going to use me. But you, you've got to, does Ollie Lawrence love playing 12? And if he doesn't love playing 12, please don't play in there because, or any player, don't play them there because you're just not, you, you know, they say, anyone will say, I'll play for England anyway. I'll play for in, in, in England in the back row. Well, you're not good enough. And no, you wouldn't. You genuinely wouldn't. Um, because you can't and you'll get slaughtered. Ollie Lawrence has got to love playing 12. If he genuinely loves it, then pick him. Because I he'll play well. Because he's just he's in the form of his life right now.
3: And it might you be guaranteed to play 12, Jerry, just to annoy Carling.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, even I don't know Will's better at 12 than I am.
2: The trouble with Ollie at 12, though, is that he always gets injured playing 12. And he's a slightly injury-prone player anyway seems to me that he doesn't... You know, I, I sort of winced when he got that try against Toulouse. They used him as a 12... They played him 12 that day, didn't they? And he did that head-banging bit at the tail of the line-out, ran through a Toulouse player for a great try. But I thought his shelf life is going to be short if he plays like that. And lo and behold, he crocked himself. And he, and he was out after that game, and he's going to miss who knows how much of the Six Nations. You know, it might just be coincidence, but... I feel a bit more secure when he's playing at thirteen. I don't think he's going to get banged around so much. And also, if you're looking for the creativity for what we hope is a a more attack minded England, who could have a, a you know really useful back three, his trickery at thirteen is nice. His his hands, his offloads, his passing that's where I think his major impact for England could be. I've always thought he's a thirteen. I think um, if you, if you look, like at, there is a, there's a vacancy at twelve. It's difficult
1: if you look at uh, Ollie Lawrence at thirteen. 15. He's cutting lines before the ball comes. He's getting it and using his feet because they passed him at the wrong time. Um, and he's got, he's got a handoff and a step to get round or invade those, uh, those, those, those tacklers. Is Ollie Lawrence the guy you see passing 15 yards off his left to right or right to left? Um, you know what you, Ollie Lawrence is very good at carrying the ball. He's not a distributor. He's good at carrying and running and attacking, and he has a presence in defence. I think it could be utilised as well inside centre. The way that you play with pods, it's not as straightforward as it was when I played, when you had the backs as backs, the forwards of forwards. It's intermingling. I think he can pick those lines off 12. I think he would be brilliant. You know, the the try he scored against Toulouse... What was good? It was great. He cut a great line. He's just got to learn a bit to to anticipate these bangs rather than wanting to run over someone. You lean in, you you move away, you ride a tackler rather than smashing a a tackler. And those are the bits and pieces you learn. uh, He's he's still a young man learning his trade. So I I think it is a bit of a coincidence he's been injured.
4: I think that one of the issues with you know at, at at center overall with england is that there are just not enough centers who are english qualified playing in the premiership and you know the, the 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 bedrock is pretty pretty you know pretty thin there are not people knocking the knocking the door down to play at inside center i mean dingwall is you know i mean this season he's played outside centre to Hutchinson, who's been playing at at, at inside centre for Northampton, and England seemed to me to be it seems that this midfield you know we call it midfield conundrum it's been going on forever, and the fact that Lawrence is injured and we're now scraping around trying to look just before the start of the Six Nations for a six na- you know for a center combination
1: is a is a joke. Um- I think, I think we get to that every side has its ups and downs and has its longevity and wins championships, triple crowns. And, and England have been in that position where it's been periodic. There's been very little consistency. So I, I look at, you know, I've said in the column for a long time, there's very few England players that are picking themselves by right by their performances. You look at the best teams, the settled teams, Ireland, France, New Zealand, South Africa, we could all name their teams. And we're all, if we all put teams, a a French team or an Irish team or South African team down on paper, the five of us here, we'd probably get 11 right. We'd all have probably about 11. If you put an England team down or a Wales team down, we'd, we'd be lucky if we got seven right. Or eight right. And that and that's where the England team is at the moment. And that's why I said, you know, I, I can't remember if Kaney was tuned in then or not, but it's it's imperative to get these, you know, the front row, the second row, the back row, to get these combinations synced and connected in and, and give them a run. And unfortunately, we're not going to get a run quickly because if it was thinking Spencer um or Mitchell, Smith, uh, Lawrence, whoever, whoever was going to be outside. Who, yeah. Even me thinking about what Borthwick might be thinking. I, 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 it doesn't seem obvious. I know what we all would like. We would like consistency. We would like the 10 to be there for as long as it can and, and, and 12 and 13. But the way they're playing doesn't allow it.
0: What a good idea for an exercise, actually. We'll take 10 minutes in silence and put together an England team and see how many we get. I, th- I think seven would be quite good, to be honest, between the, <laughs> the, the there's not
3: there's, there's not a single unit, with the possible exception of second row, if you assume that it's Oje and Chesham with the blokes. Um, there's, not, there's not a unit in England, so where you'd be at all confident of second-guessing Baltwick here.
4: Chesham and Itoji at the moment are the only blokes. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, pretty much. I mean, you, you've, you've got something. a bloke
3: from Northampton hanging around, haven't you? And, um,
0: um, Coles, yeah. Is way out now? He's gone, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He, he was in and real, out pretty quickly, yeah. So we're, right. no, we are a bit undercooked in that department. Um, look, I don't want to... Uh, we spent quite a lot of time on England and there's one name that I, I was itching to ask Jerry about very quickly before we move on. And that's because I think I'd imagine Emmanuel Faye Waboso is exactly your sort of player, Jerry.
1: Yeah, uber-talented, excited, quick, uh, abrasive. Um, The only thing you think about with youngsters is, you know, sometimes you miss the simple ball, the pass, the easy pass to put someone into space because you're so young and excited. You want to do everything. And, um, you know, that if I was coaching that, that's what I, what he, what we've seen is very, all very natural. And that can, he can do that in his sleep. Um, to be great, you've got to have that vision and the understanding of just to pass that ball when it's essential, when it's, when it's clear and obvious. Um, but yeah, I, I love, I love new kids coming in, uh, Particularly the experienced ones, and being able to let them go. You know, just, uh, Zahmet, who's now uh, who's now left us unfortunately for his dream of NFL. When he first came in, he just wanted to see him run with the ball and see is he really this quick. And we're um, both so we we just see if he does get picked, if he does come on, if he does get this opportunity during the Six Nations. You know, that, that's the measure of how good you are as a player. Can you do it at this highest level? Um, and I don't think there's any massive risk of giving him a run against Italy. Um, find out, can he, can he deal with the, the crowd, the attention, doing it when it really matters, under pressure. So this, this would be a great opportunity of any youngsters or any inexperienced players he's thinking about playing. Give them a run.
0: Yeah, I think we but all five of us agree he should, he should start against Italy. But he, he, he fills the hole created by Arundel in a sense, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean,
3: you know, um, and Arundel's another very exciting attacking wing, but he's ruled himself out, so that's fine.
2: Um, so it slightly depends where they're going to play Freeman, though, doesn't it? Because, I mean, I think he has to be a first choice. If he's not going to be, you know, a left field selection at centre, he has to be the first choice wing. So then, get, then you've got Tom Robach, Elliot Daly um and fable both so so that's quite a close selection but as Jerry says you know Italy away uh no disrespect but you know that is a game to blood people
0: yeah 100%
2: and the argument for Finn Smith comes up there as well you
0: know just on the Arundel um sort of elephant in the room because we haven't mentioned it Jerry we put out an ask Jerry segment on our socials for listeners of the podcast to put their questions to you um and a little England related question from Simon Haywood on Instagram. Um I'm reading out his wording exactly, so I think it's fairly clear what he thinks. But do you think that English players who play abroad should be unfairly penalised by an outdated RFU ruling to admit them <laughs> omit them from England selection? Not the most um not the most impartial question
1: ever. But what they
3: call a leading question in court,
0: I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm I, I, with Simon. I don't think any player these, in this day and age should be penalised for following uh, their living, their dream, whatever they want to call it. They should you should be allowed to go anywhere. Um, you know, clearly if you go uh, southern hemisphere, you're you, you're out right of the game because you're just too far away. Japan probably the same, but I mean, just across the channel. I mean, and, and in, the, in this day and age, how difficult it is financially at the moment um, and you there is a window of release in the international uh, window of release so uh, th- th- just be just just be clever why you limit your your, opp- your your opportunity to select um, I, I just, and th- not every player there's not not every player can go to France we, you know we still read in the papers oh Farrell's going well how much longer was Farrell going to play for England? How much crudely, how much more use was Farrell to England in this next four year cycle? Um, the guys that normally go are coming to the end or have been snubbed in some way. Um, but either way, um, they shouldn't be penalised. So I would allow selection. And, and there's another thing to build into that in,
3: in terms of like Jack Willis's case. Um, you know, he he owes, I know, I mean, rugby's a business. You know, players are going for the for the money and the opportunities. The clubs want them because of the value they're going to bring to the clubs. But I would wouldn't be surprised if Jack Willis, having gone to um, uh, having gone to France because of Was collapse. I mean, he didn't he didn't ask me how to be out of work. He's gone over there because there was an opportunity there. It's a fantastic place he's playing, and he probably feels a bit of a a, 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 a you know to satisfy his own ambition to stay there because he feels himself developing, but he might feel a bit of a debt of gratitude and a debt of honour towards the club. And, you know, to be penalised for that, it's ridiculous. I I,
1: I just, yeah, I just totally, think it's an attitude
3: that's out of the arc, you know.
1: Crudely, crudely, they know they go what they risk. um, And they, but it, the RFU, I think, are very blinkered and short-sighted and, very naive by by putting this uh, rule in, in place.
2: I mean with Henry Arundel, it did only last May that he was still a London Irish player. I mean for Gods and he was told specifically he could go and sign in France and it wouldn't be a penalty. And then he then they, they turned that decision round. Well you've got to have some sympathy for the lad. I mean it's not fair on you, any you, count.
1: You support him Good decision yeah. for him, which is it's all about him, which it should be. And then you put the owners should be on the Premiership to develop more Arundels. So yeah. go out there and find them and do it.
0: Yeah, completely agree. We had one other England-related question that I wanted to put to you from Noah Brown, who said, "Jerry, what represents a successful Six Nations for England?" <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, maybe win three games. <laughs> okay. win three. Um, uh, as much as I'm laughing, that would... Yeah. Three games. Because I, I don't see them beating France or Ireland. Yeah. If they can win the rest, if they, if they can win the rest, they've done well. Uh, if they win four, I think they've done incredibly well.
0: Yeah. I think, looking at our predictions, I think... Think someone has england winning four i can't remember who um but actually speaking of the predictions obviously we're sort of starting with england italy or italy england rather um on the italy we've all got england winning this weekend there's no debate about that brendan i wanted to sort of pick you (laughs) you've got france to beat scotland to beat france but then you've got italy to beat scotland
2: well, that tells you everything you need to know about Scotland and Italy, really, doesn't it? I no, mean, it
0: tells us all you need to know about you, Brent.
2: <laughs> oh, why? We'll have to consult last year's Six Nations. Well, yeah, don't, do that. don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Scotland. Uh, I mean, Scotland. Or Scotland. Two thousand. They, they, they got the wooden spoon. They lost every match except England. They beat Grand Slam chasing England. They beat that. Scotland have a history of, of winning matches they shouldn't win and losing matches they shouldn't lose. So that was my theory there. Um, You know, in Scotland at home to France, fairly early in the tournament, maybe a bit of shitty weather, just felt possible. Italy, I still believe Italy have one really good performance in them. uh, And at home against Scotland, well, let's be brutal. That's the match they're going to target. They always do. So that that was my rationale, probably completely wrong. But there you go.
0: No, I enjoyed reading it. Um, Just on the Italy front very quickly, I suppose. Last year, we were obviously very much singing there. Singing their praise a lot more than we had done the, the year before in terms of the momentum they're building. Um, Jerry, how much of a step backwards do you think the World Cup was? They obviously conceded something like one hundred and fifty points to New Zealand and France in obviously the space of two games.
1: I'm 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 caught when it comes to Italy. I want to be blunt and brutal and say they shouldn't be in it. Uh, but I also want them to be in it because of you know, weekends that we're going to see uh, with a sold-out stadium that could be seventy-two thousand people. But the ne- the downside of that is you could have seventy-two thousand there, and they could they could they won't but they could get absolutely walloped. and and it's all, it's it, Italy have become a buy. They've, they've become a, a team that play it, that other sides really don't have to put their full strength side out against if they don't want to. And that, that's not positive. And so I'm going around a little bit here because I don't know what the answer is. Do you let them go bring someone else in? Is Georgia going to be as good? Do we go back to five teams? Do you shut it? it I just think at the moment it's a great trip to go on. I'd love to be playing against them because I'm going to score some tries. It's not overly competitive. It, it, it what, What's it fulfilling? I think there's, for me, there's a lot of questions that don't have a lot of answers.
0: I think we'll move on just for the sake of time. Um, and we mentioned the sort of blockbuster Six Nations opening, France-Ireland. Um, the France team, while we're recording, actually has been announced um, I think the sort of only real surprise is that maybe uh Morfona is on the wing and Louis Bierbiarre is on the bench. Uh no Emmanuel Mayafu, who has picked up a little injury, so his long-awaited France debut will continue to be long-awaited. Um, Jerry, you said in your column that you're backing France for the title. Now, I agree with you, but you've got to say as well that France are slightly wounded in terms of their squad. You've got obviously No Dupont, Untermax still injured, Jolange is still is injured again, Flamand, Meafou, Jamine. They are slightly depleted, uh, depleted, sorry. So what gives you the confidence to say that they they will not only win, but I think you're backing them for
1: a grand slam? Um not sure about going grand slam. Uh yes, I would though. Yes, yes, sorry. Um whether it's a little bit of recall of when you've been really hurt the way you come back says everything about you and we got beaten in 1990 in a game that most people had us as favourites but we we weren't the Scottish team were good they were better than most people thought I mean they had so many British and Irish lines in that side they they were good Uh, and that that really hurt us and we went 91, 92, we we became very competitive. We had a decent team, but we were very competitive. And France have got a blooming good team, despite the injuries, despite the best player in the world not playing. They are uber-talented. And rugby, the the, the rugby today is so much about the, the bump and bruise and the ball carriers and the aggression and getting the game line. They've got all that, and what's made them even more formidable is they've got a goal kicker who hardly misses. I mean, that for me is the, that that was the only missing link to France being as good as they could be. And let's face it, they lost to an amazing team in in in, in the uh, in in the World Cup, and it, it was a game they could have won. It was that close. So I think they're hurt they're burnt, and they'll come back and they will be intense. My worry would be this, just this opening game, that c- can they emotionally get there and contain it and play as well as they possibly can? And, and if they do, they will win, and they will win the Grand Slam.
3: Yes, they have injuries, Sorry, and, and Dupont is a massive, is a, is a massive loss. You, you don't lose a player like that and shrug your shoulders. You, you, you simply don't. However, you balance that against the fact that Peno, Ramos, Jalibert, the hooker, Mavaka, is he he starting? Yeah, he's starting. Uh, Are playing the rugby of the gods at the moment. They're absolutely outstanding. And Aldrit has just come back from a decent rest because he was very tired at the end of the World Cup and with good reason. And every sign we've seen from him over the last couple of weeks is he's come straight back in. At his peak. Now those are massive players. Waukee's playing pretty well. You have got Cyril Bay back and fit and firing. Um, I I I have him down for a slam, albeit narrowly. I it would it wouldn't astonish me if I was wrong because I'm generally wrong about everything. However, I think that that they if any side's going to win a slam, it will be them. Jerry's absolutely right. This is a big old game on Friday. I think it helps them because they're in Marseille. Uh, I don't think that helps the Irish to be playing in that different environment. Um, I think there'll be an electricity around the ground which will which will help the French insofar as they need any help. And I I I think that they'll they'll play some pretty great rugby over the next few weeks. In
0: 2022, Nick, you had France play Ireland in France, France win, France go on to win the Grand Slam. Last year you have Ireland play France in Dublin. Ireland win. Ireland go on to win Grand Slam. Yeah, is this the case on Friday? Is it not only a Championship decider but potentially a Grand Slam denoter?
4: Yes. Yeah. In a word, it is. Um, I, I think that, um, and I think that home advantage is is probably one of the few things that separates the two teams, and um, that's why you've got to favour. France in this instance, I think that they'll. I'd be very surprised if they don't um, uh, pick up from where they left off in the World Cup, despite the loss of of Dupont. Um, I see that Antonio. What can you just say? What it? What? what there. No surprises in their side is Antonio. I noticed he was in the squad. Is he at Titan?
0: He's starting. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, you turned from retirement. And who are their locks? uh Gabrielag and Willemser. So Woki is on the bench and obviously no Maafu who's injured and I think Taufi Fanoa
4: is also injured. Okay, and Luku at, at scrum half. Who's at 9, yeah. 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 Uh look, I mean I I I think that despite um Dupont Luku everything that I've seen of him playing for Bordeaux this season is a very very accomplished scrum half. Um and you know he runs he runs similar sort of support lines. He's not Dupont, but he runs similar sort of support lines to Dupont. His service is good. His kicking game is very, very good. Um, so I I don't I, I don't see see him as being a weak link. Um, and also he's got his club uh, partner colleague at ten in Jellybear. So they've got real understanding there. Obviously the core of the um, Toulouse side and also La Rochelle um in Aldrit and and Atonio up front two you know two mighty um contributors. I just think that they'll be you know they'll be um they'll be formidable and um I, I think that the sort of the the, the the way that the tournament breaks also uh, favours them to a degree. They finish off with England in Paris. Um, which will be pretty daunting for uh, for England, and um, yeah, I don't, I, 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 I think that they'll have enough this time round just to uh, to swing it, and you know that with Sean Edwards there, that they're, you know, they'll be setting the bar high.
3: Who's replaced Chiron in the back row? Is it Francois Cross? It is, yeah. He's a good player. They don't lose much there.
0: Not he's right. a re- he's a real dog. It's a it's an exciting team. The Ireland um, 15 will be announced in about an hour. So <laughs> on the off chance we're still recording then, which I <laughs> I think you, you can almost probably, pick that though. now though. I mean they're pretty settled. Yeah, up. exactly. That's also true. But no, all five of us have got France to win this Friday. Um, has anyone not got France for? It? We may as well do that now. Has anyone not got France for a Grand Slam then?
2: Well, I haven't because I've oh, them Jeff Brendan, you, yeah. Scotland. Yeah. so on the assumption there's one upset result somewhere in most tournaments
0: Brendan who's your tournament winner then
2: I can't remember how the maths worked out I, I mean I break, a couple yeah. sides winning four so it'll be whoever gets some um, bonus points or whatever I mean I, I suspect France might still win it um despite their disappointing defeat at Murrayfield <laughs> <laughs> I think go. all five of us probably
1: got France then.
0: Um, let's move on again, very finally, to Scotland versus Wales. And obviously, we mentioned that Rory Dyge has been moved in to captain. He's been moved into co captain with Finn Russell. Um, I don't know if any of you have watched the Six Nations documentary Full Contact yet, but Russell and Gregor Townsend were obviously quite open about their relationship. Jerry, do you think that? Finn Russell's appointment as co-captain is kind of the the nail in the coffin for that beef, so to speak, and it is now really water under the bridge?
1: Uh, I've not watched it, but take it as face value um, that Finn growing up, maturing and understanding what he wants to do. Um, is it changeable? I don't know, but what I'm seeing here in Bath at the Recreation Grand um, when he's playing away from home is a Kind of all court ten, kind of you know he's getting stuck in in defence. He loves that little cross uh, kick pass. He's he's making little breaks. He's putting players. It. it, It's hard to think how much better it could be. Um, and we know Gregor won't be picking him unless he's that they aren't pretty much on the same page. So, um, I I I like Scotland. I, I just wish they had a pack that could carry harder and more aggressively and com- just compete more. Um, they can defend. They just struggle to be effective carrying the ball. I mean, uh, I, I like the back line, whichever nine they go with. They've got two great wingers in Stain and Der Merwe. Kinghorn is playing brilliant rugby. Uh, Tui Politu is aggressive. They've got Redpath who can come on. You've got Hugh Jones who can score tries. You give that backline ball, they're in business, but their problem has been giving them enough balls to do the business with.
0: And obviously, well, just going straight into the predictions, actually, they're playing Wales in Cardiff. I think if they were playing Wales in Murrayfield, we may not be so divided on this one, and it may sway in Scotland's favour, but we've got three of us for Scotland to win and two of us for Wales to win. So, Jerry. Scotland haven't won in Cardiff in 22 years. Um, you've obviously got Scotland to win, so do you just think this team is now too strong and Wales are now well,
1: too not strong enough? I don't hold any light to how many years someone hasn't won in 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 a particular stadium. It just doesn't it doesn't compute with me. You're good enough or you're not, uh, and on this occasion. Scotland are good enough to win this game. Um, I think they're they're more together they're more complete, and Wales are just really rebuilding that you know it's very difficult to name for me it is anyway to to, to, to name a Welsh team um, where, where it's a bit easier for Scotland, and that's because of how long they've been together. The challenge for Scotland is to get over this mental hurdle of being able to win more than three games and Brenny put it brilliantly earlier, you know Scotland. And, Lose games they should win and win games they should lose. They are that inconsistent. Once they find it, they could be very good. Uh, but yeah, I just think they're they're a more complete side than Wales are, and that's why I think they win away from home.
3: Yeah. This is this year zero for Wales, isn't it? I mean, uh, I mean, as, as Jerry says, so those of us who are students of the game seriously struggle to work out.
4: That excludes oh. you, then. Oh, well. well <laughs> Well, order, well, order. That's that,
0: that's,
3: that, that's for you to say, Nick. And um, I leave it to our hey, adoring just, public to decide whole. whether whether you're <laughs> correct. However, it's a it's 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 a nice joke and beautifully timed, Nick. Um, so and it's a shame that it will be edited out. Um, it definitely but, won't. But no, I I mean, where where do you even begin with Wales? I mean, for a major rugby-playing nation, they really are scratching around for a side. I mean, that's not to say that Gatland won't develop a side, but even he, with his record, isn't going to develop a side in the space of a week or whatever, however long they've been together. I mean, it's not going to—you know—a lot of this isn't going to bear that much resemblance, you would imagine, to the World Cup team, which is only a few months ago.
1: Well, they did. I think they did well in the World Cup. For what they had, yeah, what they, exactly. the form they they did, they did produce some form. Uh, yeah. So I would never, I would never write them off completely. But my my prediction stands. I just think that that Scotland are a more complete side.
3: The, yeah. the catalyst for that World Cup performance, of course, was Jack Morgan, who's injured.
1: Yeah, yeah.
4: yeah. I, I was intrigued during the World Cup because I, I I thought that on balance there was very little between um, either England certainly between England and Wales and maybe Scotland very, very slightly ahead of those two. Um, I I think that we can, you know, there's Gatland continually confounds predictions when it comes to the Six Nations in particular. And um, I think it'll be a very, very close game. Uh, but again, I think that Wales playing at home there's a, a sort of desperation there in some ways they were very close to uh, beating argentina to get into the uh, the, the last eight i um, but you know but but for a, a last minute intercept um so i think that they've got you know they've they've got something there and they'll they'll be in the fight for cer- for certain and with the crowd uh, behind them you know they may just they may just swing it i've got them to swing it but um I, you know it, it there'll be very little in it. Um I think Aaron Wainwright is an inspirational uh player for Wales. And um uh you know Rafael is one of the best breakdown operators that there is uh in, in the game. Um Rollins is playing quite well in in, in France I think. Um so uh, overall I, I like the uh the new captain um Daffod- uh, James, I think he's um, he's yeah. he's got you know he's got real real dog about him and grit. So I think that they'll. Um, I I don't think that they're going to be easy beats at all. Um, and I don't think it, I'm not suggesting anybody else thinks that they will be, but uh, I could I, I I could see them starting the uh, the tournament with a win at home. I Think, Brendan, you're the other one who sees Wales. Yeah, yeah, them. I
2: am. Um, very close, you know, but home advantage is big in the Six Nations. Scotland aren't traditionally great starters. Um, I think to, you know, if Wales are gonna bring you know something special to the tournament, it might be in that first match. You know, being an emotional occasion with the uh, David Jenkins captain, captain in the side. It's just got a sort of story feel to it that it that it might happen. But you know, it'll be close. Would be surprised if the Scots did nick it, but I'm going for Wales. It's exactly That's the same I think it's a great Go on, Joe.
1: I hope it's a great game because I'm going to it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brendan, Brendan, your argument is exactly the same one I used last year when I had Wales have beat Ireland at home. Yeah, yes, I'm just thinking you know, as i was saying it's, it. Like... It's almost worth your logic is um, is is directly comparable.
1: Um, I leave you with that thought. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's the same result. Only not for no, not for the Welsh people, but just because of what I've said.
0: <laughs> <laughs> i was going to bring up that um infamous prediction of yours Chewie. i think that was you were the, you were the first member of the turkey club in the predictions league for getting not only the result completely wrong but the scores you predicted were absolutely nowhere near what i no, i know i not only was i, I a turkey, turkey but i did vote for christmas <laughs> <laughs> so no you were a trailblazer because we all followed suit actually we all ended up being members um but just one more question on that before we move on to. We'll do, we've sort of picked our tournament winner, but a player of the tournament each and one to watch each. Um, Jerry, Jamie Ferber on X has asked for the benefit of Welsh rugby about the idea of an Anglo Welsh league and what are your thoughts on that. Um, if the four pro teams in Wales played in an Anglo Welsh league rather than the URC and what you think about the idea of it, obviously it's not entirely clear how it would work.
1: Um, I would go. Further and make it a British and Irish League, uh, if if they were going to do something, change it up. But I, I think you've got to, you've got to work with what you've got at the moment and try and make that better. I think everyone's looking outside of what's on the field, and there's no reason why the regions can't make their sides better. They just got to be better recruitment, better coaching, and discovering of talent. Uh, but the idea of a an Anglo just an Anglo Welsh doesn't appeal to me. Uh, a, a British and Irish league genuinely would be exciting.
0: Interesting. Okay. Awesome. Um, yeah. So that I think I said his name. That was Jamie Ferber on X. So thank you very much for the question, Jamie. Um, okay. We've all picked our tournament winners. All five of us got have gone on um, gone with France. I think say Ireland win on friday that could be the quickest turnaround for all five of us being a <laughs> <song>. <laughs> that we've ever had on the rugby paper podcast so it'll be interesting in a week's time when we've got jiffy back on um actually whether we're gonna have to go back on that but anyway so player of the tournament and one to watch um jerry who is your player of the tournament
1: um i'll go for uh, France captain aldrich as the player of the tournament um, kind of got them down for the Grand Slam and he's just an awesome player. He really, I, he's not Rasmus like Dupont but if you're talking about a, a proper nuggety, gritty rugby player that would be that would be uh, it comfortably and I'm not sure this player is going to be picked and it's almost like I've been given a tip of the, uh, the player to watch and I'm going to go with uh, Mason Grady. If he, if he can secure a Welsh centre position um, and get enough ball and show what I've seen on clips and what I've listened to, uh, it could be re- you know, we talked about centres and the difficulty England have had securing these centres. Uh, this kid could be, could be really good if he gets the opportunity. And you want to see him in the midfield rather than on the wing? Preferably at outside centre. Um, but if he gets on the wing, uh good good fair play to him. i, I suppose you got George North who's around that might stop him from being outside centre. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's just the one one to watch, Mason Grady. Nick, your player of the tournament and one to watch?
4: Um player of the tournament, um just watching um Calen Doris the other weekend in the European um cup and he looks to me i mean aldrich's a great um choice as well as as number eight but uh doris is is really you know coming on a storm at the moment he's taken his game up and up up, up even a notch where it, uh from where it was um he's really formidable he's he's uh, a, a tremendous carrier He's a, you know, thunderclap tackler. He's uh, he's a great ball player as well. He's their talisman in the same way, uh, you, you know, perhaps as uh, as aldridge as is for France. So uh, he's certainly, um, you know, a potential player of the tournament. And you're one to watch? One to watch. Um, I was thinking, uh, I'd, but we don't know whether he'll be... He'll be in the team to watch. That's the only problem. I was going to say Tommy Freeman. I mean, I think that he's he's had a fantastic season so far. He appears in the same way Jerry was talking about Ollie Lawrence as being on fire. Freeman seems to me to be on fire. You know, he seems to be popping up in the right place at the right time, making the right moves, playing with real impact. Um, so I, I hope he I, I hope he gets in the starting lineup and. Can- <laughs> and could be the player to watch but um yeah so i'd give you t- I'd, I'd say tommy freeman i think freeman's an interesting one because we were speaking
0: about someone like furbank or Slade and them not having quite done it in an england shirt i think freeman people are talking about him as if he's a newcomer people i think people forget how good he was in australia i think it was was in 2022 wasn't mm. it he was really yeah. really good on that tour so we've seen that he can do it in an england shirt so he would have been my one to watch as well um Chewy, um, your
3: player. At the I, I, I was I was toying with the the Doris idea actually, Nick, which is which I think you make a really good point on him. I think he's 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 growing in he's growing in stature in a side that's not short of a big name and big performing players. But he has become very very influential, and and I thought his performances in in Europe were outstanding. But just to be different, I think I will go from Matthew Jalabert as a player of the tournament, I think he's good enough to make Romain entomac irrelevant.
0: Big statement. And you're one to watch? Um I've never I've never really um I've never
3: really said many nice things about Harlequins, largely because of their shirts. It's the only time I'm glad I'm colourblind, actually, <laughs> is those shirts of theirs. Um but I think Chandler Cunningham South has a bit about him. I think he has some real zip and he has a lot of energy and he is certainly not short of skills or size or aggression and for a young player he he sticks up for himself he stands his ground he's um he's everything you might want in a in a in a test six actually um and if England are brave they'll give him a run because as we've said about previous, um, about other players, um, you know, a, a first Six Nations appearance against Italy over there is not the worst place or time to be uh, to be blooded, and I think he has the potential, given the opportunities and a bit of luck with injuries, he has the potential to be a big name England player
0: for a considerable amount of time. Yeah, good choice. And Brendan, round us off.
2: Um, excellent choices, all of those, and. I think I'm gonna go with Jadabert as well. Uh I've always thought he was class. I've always slightly preferred him to Antanak. He had a very good World Cup. Uh he's got you know, he's got the canvas now of a complete six nations. He's with his club colleague at uh, half back. I mean, it's all there for him. So I'm expecting a big, big tournament from him. And my Wonder Watch, hat tipped with the Italians. I think Tommaso Menoncello in the centre is a hell of a player. I remember Paul Gustard, when he worked with him at Benetton, saying he was the best prospect he'd ever seen. Um, and they really missed him in the World Cup. Not that he would have got any pill anyway. Uh, so he's been hungry. He missed the entire World Cup. He went bloody well in the, a couple of their warm-up matches. That one against Ireland, he gave Robbie Henshaw a really uncomfortable afternoon at centre. And I think he might really blossom and, and show some some class and some pace in the centre for Italy. So I hope he gets some ball or enough ball to show what he can do.
0: Right, guys, let's wrap up there. Jerry, you said you're off to Cardiff on Saturday. Well, are you flying up on, for, on Friday?
1: Yeah, I'll just have of coffee with a, an ex-rugby international, Matt Perry, uh, now. And on Friday, Saturday, Friday, I'm looking forward to the, the big game. And Saturday, I'm going to get on a train and join the Welsh supporters heading to the uh, Principality uh, and enjoy the hospitality uh, that's given to me over there. Still the best fullback of the England fullback of the professional era. Oh, I will pass that on, Chris. You're <laughs> <laughs> telling you me he owes me drinks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, Jerry, you at Twickenham for obviously it's the, the Blues away this year. So, you at Twickenham for England, Ireland, and England, Wales?
1: I'll be there for one of them for sure. I'm not sure which one yet. Um, but uh yeah i just the, we talked about right at the beginning of the show how exciting the six nations is and the, you just can't get past the the atmosphere at uh, a stadium for a six nations it's so different to you know, even when new zealand and south africa and australia will be coming to town in the autumn i, I still take a six nations atmosphere it, it's just the memories everything that comes back it uh It's fantastic, and it's lovely to be right in that mix. And it's
0: obviously set set to be a a very different Six Nations to this time last year, but an equally compelling one as well. Um, We'll wrap up, guys. Enjoy this weekend. Um, Columnists, I look forward to seeing you next week. We'll be with Jiffy this time next week. And, yeah, Jerry, great to see you as always, and probably see you this time next year. Okay,
1: (laughs) Have a good one, everyone.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Rugby Paper podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you use and recommend the show to your friends. The Rugby Paper is available to buy every Sunday. And to make sure you don't miss it, subscribe to our print, digital and online options at therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions. That's therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions to get all our content little
1: as 14p per day.